I, uh, um, I'll read this in a second, but I did notice that um, when you're reading a psalm, sometimes you don't know if the person who's writing it is like writing it in his moment, after the fact, you know, uh, in the process of, of, I know when I prepare sermons, for instance, I'll, I'll know what I'm going to be preaching on, but as I'm preparing it over the week or, or so, thoughts come to me. And I email the thoughts to myself or I write them down on a napkin or whatever. So it's a process. And so take that in mind as, as we read this Psalm of David. Psalm 30, beginning in verse 1, a Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. But your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. You may be seated. You might want to keep that psalm out in front of you. Um, so often I'll mention a verse without reading it, and you can kind of glance and see it. Oftentimes we think of Thanksgiving as a day, and I think most of you probably came here this way, in which you thank the Lord for how he has abundantly provided for us. We thank him for our home, our family, health, work, sustenance, even bounty. Those things are not the focus of Psalm 30. The psalm is a a song of thanks, but it's a song of thanks to God for his mercy, his forgiveness. The psalm actually reflects the heart of a child, okay, who has regained his father's approval after having done something very naughty. And you, you know how, how it was growing up in your home. Some of you may still feel this way. When you do something wrong and your dad is not happy with you, you want that to change. You want, it, you want him to be restored to you as a father who is loving and affectionate again. Today, you may hear this psalm and, and find it difficult relating to David. And to his sin. David mentions his sin in this psalm. You you could find it hard to imagine any sin in your life over which God would turn his face from you. 
I hope that is the case. That would be great. If that is your disposition this morning, super. But I suggest you look at Psalm 30, and if nothing else, put it in your shirt pocket for when you need it. Some of you are going to hear what David's going through and and think, I'm there right now. This psalm is for me. Others will think, I know exactly what David's talking about. I've been through that. And some of you, it just might seem like it's a wasted, wasted breath from me. Stick it in your pocket. David had a problem. His sin had provoked God and made him angry. God turned away from him. It was as if God could not look at David. You know how when you get angry with someone, you don't even want to look at them for a while. It was as if God could not even look at David. His guilt and this displeasure of God, it was cold on David. It was depressing. It was miserable. And the problem David has here is articulated in the lyrics of this song that he's written in the lyrics in verses 6 and 7, if you look at that. It says, as for me. I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. Before I speak to that problem, um, I'll just remind you in this, in this psalm, David's soul was in a pit in verse 1, he says it. Metaphorically. He was buried in the grave among other dead people who had no hope. He was weeping in his prayers to God, according to verse 10. Forgive me my sin, please be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. This this was no surface apology. It took incredible soul-searching. What had David done? Well, verses 6 and 7, he acted pridefully. He got too confident in who he was, thinking he was untouchable. He confesses, I said, in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Oh, no. Don't think like that. You know, some sin, it's quick and stupid. Other sin gets in your bones. I tell you, God will shake the best people when they think they've built something on their merit. He will shake you. He will teach the rich how he alone gives someone the ability to create wealth. But it must be used for his kingdom's purposes. God will instruct the intelligent man how he constructs the mind to think heavenly thoughts, heavenly thoughts, and that a knowledgeable person should assist the stupid one. That's why he made you smart. 
He, he constructs that mind. God impresses upon the mighty his duty, not to overpower, but to assist the weak. In all of these, it is as the Apostle Paul said, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Christian, keep your eyes low to the ground. The more God gives you, the greater the danger of self-adulation. You must not think too highly of yourself. Rather carry the attitude of that hymn writer, We give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be, all that we have is thine alone. A trust, O Lord, from thee. As for me, David confesses, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Yikes. Charles Spurgeon suggests when this happened, what was the cause, what was the thing David did that led to his self-glorification. And he thinks, Spurgeon thinks it might have been when he took the census and counted the people which was a great evil. We're not going to dwell a lot on the history, but you can find it in 2 Samuel 24 if you want to read it at some point. I want to read just eight verses from there so you can get a sense at least of that, that one uh, David's sin and circumstance with God. I'll begin in verse 10 of 2 Samuel 24. It says, But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, his wise man, right, his counselor. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them, that I may do it to you. Uh-oh. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall three years, these are the three options, David, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? That was the second thing. Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let let me not fall into the hand of man. So option two was out. 
Verse 15 goes on. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, it is enough, now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arunah, the Jebusite, which is important, you'll find out later in history. Verse 17 says this, Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. So David's sin had national implications. Our sin does not stretch too far. It stays local. It affects us, our family members, sometimes church members, colleagues. 70,000 killed by pestilence. David says concisely in verse 7, you hid your face. I was dismayed. There's a theologian, Richard Gilpin. He observes enjoyments, and listen, enjoyment, enjoyments beget confidence. Confidence brings forth carelessness. Carelessness makes God withdraw and gives opportunity to Satan. To work unseen. And so God hid his face and and David is dismayed. He feels his guilt. He's distressed by the repercussions of his sin. It makes him anxious to get back what he lost. It, It is his worst position that God is angry with him. David can't endure that God has turned away. This is a Thanksgiving psalm. I was listening to a podcast interview, and the man said, I don't think we can appreciate just how deep mankind fell with Adam. What we were made to be in comparison to where we stand is too far to measure. But you and I know Once you come back to Christ and experience the forgiveness and mercy of God, you you gain a proper standing. That that standing which was originally discarded by humanity, you kind of got it back again. So, So to blow it as a Christian and have your father angry, well, we don't want to feel that relationship slip away. There was a Puritan, John Flavel, he describes the soul's dismay when this occurs. The soul 
soul's dismay when God disapproves. He writes, outward afflictions, outward afflictions do but break the skin. This touches the quick, the flesh below the skin. Outward afflictions, they like rain fall only upon the tiles. This soaks into the house. But, and here's where the sun breaks out for us on this Thanksgiving day. But, Flavel says, Christ brings to believers substantial matter of consolation against the troubles of God deserting them. He himself, speaking of Jesus, he himself was deserted of God for a time that they might not be deserted forever. I don't know if you're hearing that, but Jesus suffered our greatest fear, our greatest ultimate fear now, the Father's unforgiveness in order that we will always and forever remain his children. Look how David appeals, okay? He appeals and applies to God for his forgiveness. An unsaved man does not do that. He cried for help in verse 2. I should just read that section for you. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. He pleaded for mercy in verse 8. To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. He asked the Lord to help him in verse 10. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. He comes to know God, sorry, he comes to God knowing that he can come to God. And God turns his face back again. Yeah, he did turn his face away, but he turns his face back again. How do we know David regained God's favor? That's what that means when he turns his face back. He's regained God's favor. Well, it's because the weeping that tarried, in verse 5, it checked out. It checked out of David's little lodge, his soul's lodge, and joy came to dwell there. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Listen, God may get angry with you, it is possible. If and when you sin, expect that God, your heavenly Father, will discipline you. If he didn't, then you'd be like an unloved, illegitimate child, according to Hebrews. However, the work of Christ and the forgiveness he has provided us, this brings us to a Father who disciplines us for our good because we are now, now part of his family. Look, 
This is a Sunday school problem for the last couple of decades. It's a wrong way of thinking. Christ's work does not keep us from the Father's loving discipline. It does not keep us from his discipline. It exposes us to him. Discipline is teaching meant for good. Training to improve. God's anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You don't want to be a person for whom God does not care. How else do we know God's heart changed toward David? Right in verse 1, he rejoices. What? You have drawn me up, coupled with verse 3. Oh, Lord, you you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life. God surely looked upon David again in order to reach down and pick him up. The Lord brings his penitent ones out of the pit. He restores us, but it's after we've learned our lesson. And in verse 11, another wonderful metaphor returns us to the gravesite picture of verse 1. Verse 11, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me in gladness. You know how funerals... They begin with the loss and grief and weeping. But at some point, they turn, don't they? It may be during the service or at the committal of the body to the earth or during the fellowship meal or shortly after. Things change and mourning, mourning and grieving kind of turns into happiness, into dancing. The sackcloth of grief is taken, and you put on the clothes, the clothes of gladness. This is how David re- describes his return to God's favor. This is what he is thankful for. You may have to put it in your shirt pocket, but this is one of the greatest forms of gratitude we can know, that he has returned from the death of God's disapproval to life in God's favor. Let us pray. Lord, uh, thank you for David, our brother, who experienced much in closeness to you, just as we are permitted and invited to come close and to commune with you regularly. Lord, our, our lessons in the psalm speak to those times where you were angry with him and, and what he did to, to regain your, your favor, to regain your mercy. He appealed to you as a son. So I pray each in this uh, congregation would would remember and know this for themselves. We thank you in Jesus' name.